You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Right. I don't know about you, but I just love puzzles. I like doing puzzles and logic problems. There's another name for them. It's called conundrums. And that's what we're going to be thinking a little bit. We're going to follow on from Rona. It's a bit of a puzzle and a thought on her, her message today too. The things that I kind of like are mostly the logic problems. I, I love them. And, you know, it's things like if I had um, Tom and Jess over for tea, so they were in the room, and Andrew and Abby were there too, and we were all in the sitting room, and Eddie went out to get some wood for the fire, and Tom went out at one point, came back in, and then I went through to get, make a cup of tea, and I had some cakes for the tea, but one of the cakes was missing. Oh! <laughs> now, there's only two possibilities, isn't there, left? Because the only two people that had been out of the room were Eddie and Tom. But there was one further clue. When I looked carefully, there was a little crumb stuck in Tom's beard. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the kind of thing it's good to do, isn't it, to actually work it out from the evidence. I don't know, but I like watching things too like Death in Paradise where I kind of pit myself against the inspector and see if I can work out who did it before, before the big reveal at the end. Anyway, sometimes we come across things in Scripture and we need to kind of look at the evidence to see if we can work out what it's actually meaning. And that was no different from actually way back when Jesus walked this earth and what Jesus' disciples found too. Before we just go to our first conundrum that I found when I was reading this passage, I've got two. We'll try. (laughs) I'll try not to keep you too long. But before that, being a disciple or a follower wasn't an unusual thing in Jesus' time. Most of the rabbis had people who followed their teaching, were inspired by their teaching, They learned from the rabbi with the hope that they would become a rabbi themselves. They only took the cream of the crop. (laughs) You had to be very good and able to join what would be secondary school and follow in the rabbi's footsteps. It wasn't unusual to have a disciple or a follower. Now, it was quite difficult then because you physically had to go to where the rabbi was And if the rabbi moved, you had to move with them. It's much easier now. You just go on Instagram and then you follow (laughs) at the click of a button in your home. But you know this. That's no less a thing than what they were doing because you pick the person you want to follow and you follow them. And there are these people, I believe, that have an awful lot of followers and they're called influencers. And you can choose your influencer. How good is that? And they can influence your life by what they're putting on Instagram and Twitter. 
But that is in some ways the same thing, because we as human beings like to look to other people. We like to follow them, and if we think they're really cool, we can follow them. Jesus having disciples wasn't an unusual thing, but Jesus was a bit different because he wasn't a trained rabbi. And his followers weren't the cream of the cream. There were disciples who Jesus had picked, and they came from all walks of life. And Jesus, this really, really, really annoyed the Pharisees and the other rabbis because Jesus became a bigger influencer than all of them. And the crowds were following and flocking to him, and he was getting so many hits. He had so many followers. You can imagine how the other rabbis were feeling. Not maybe very happy. He was becoming too popular. He was a carpenter himself, and that annoyed them as well, that he hadn't gone through the proper procedure to get where he was. This annoys people in our profession sometimes too. People have not gone through the proper procedure to get where they are. But what was his teaching style? Well, this is going to lead us into why was he so popular? Well, he was preaching about the kingdom of God. And he was preaching about that the kingdom of God wasn't just for a special few, that the kingdom of God was for anybody, really. And he was preaching about parity and justice. Have you heard that words mentioned recently? Equality, parity, justice, hope for the people who are down there at the bottom. I think there's still things we're looking for today, aren't they, in our society? And that's what people were looking for. They were still looking for it back in Jesus' time. And Jesus was preaching about God's kingdom, and that in God's kingdom there was parity, there was justice, there was equality, there was hope. And that's why people were drawn to him. They were thinking, oh, yay, somebody's standing up for us. We're going to have a revolution. (laughs) Is this guy going to lead us in victory over the Romans and our oppressors? Is this guy going to knock down some of those Pharisees who are getting too big for their boots? Yeah, let's follow him. And off they went. But what was his teaching style? How did he do it? Well, he himself in this passage, passage that we're looking at, is from Matthew 13. Just a few verses. The disciples himself had a question as well. But before, before, just before that, he said, in Matthew 13, 34 and 35, just a little bit later in these verses, he he quoted Psalm 78, verse 2, which is actually a prophecy. There are so many prophecies, and that's a whole other topic. We could spend weeks on speaking about prophecy. Great topic, interesting study, but not for this morning. Don't think I could do much in the next five minutes. But this is a prophecy that's reckoned to that Jesus was claiming. He said, in Psalm 78, verse 2, it says, I will open my mouth in parables. 
I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This delineates his teaching style and it promises revelation of mysteries. So he was going to speak in parables, that's how he's going to do it. Of what was he going to talk about? Mysteries that had been hidden from the creation of the world. So that gives us a good clue about what he was about. But then we see in here, the disciples sometimes didn't understand him very well, I think, even though they were close to him, spent lots of time with him. Just like us sometimes, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Hmm. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Wow, that's great for the people who have, isn't it? <laughs> Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Hey, I thought he was speaking about a kingdom of equality and justice. This is our first conundrum. What does he mean? This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Rona talked a little bit about the seeing part earlier, but we're going to have a look at this verse. I have heard this verse misquoted and misinterpreted so many times in my, oh, how long have I been a Christian? Uh, yeah, well, let's forget that, because you'll know how old I am now. <laughs> All right, anyway, whoever has will be given more, and will have it in abundance. What does he mean? Does that mean if we've got a little bit of wealth, we're going to be given more wealth? Does that mean that if you're poor, you're going to get what you have to... No, because Jesus is not talking on the level of wealth and possessions and what we have around us. Jesus is here explaining a mystery that's been hidden from the creation of the world. Because what Rona was talking about was spiritual blindness, and what Jesus is talking about is spiritual wealth. This verse here refer refers to a spirit, has a spiritual meaning and a spiritual awareness rather than a physical one. So, what Jesus is saying is whoever has a little bit of spiritual awareness of who he is, to that person who then begins seeking after him, more spiritual awareness will be given. And in fact, you know, some of us have been on the road for an awful long time as Christians, but we don't have very much spiritual awareness. We need to seek after that, long for it, ask for it, desire it, and what will we be given? In abundance. So if you long to 
be aware of God's presence round about you and the world round about you, if you long to see God in the mountains, if you long to hear God's voice whisper in your ear, then ask him. Because if you know who he is and you recognize that he is is God and he is here and he is alive and you, you can have more and more and more awareness of him and you will have an abundance. What about the second part of this conundrum? What, what was he on about here? And again, it's on the staying on the spiritual theme and it makes sense really if you think about it like this, doesn't it? Because if you don't have any awareness of Jesus and you have cut him off and you don't recognize that there is a God and you don't believe in a God, then even the little tinkling of awareness that you once had soon disappears. So you're not going to feel God's presence with you if you don't believe there is a God. So it's not Jesus who's somehow being bad and given more to some person and less to another. It's that we ourselves take us out of this promise by not recognizing who God is and that he is here and that he is with us. So you yourself are taking yourself out of the awareness of God. So you lose even the very little bit of awareness that you may have had at one time. That's what Jesus is meaning by this, and that's kind of what the conundrum is. And I think if we look at it in that kind of context and light, we can see what it means. Where it is positioned in Matthew, it's in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they all give a synopsis of Jesus' life and his death that's all pretty much lines up. You could put three of them on a page and even the order that Jesus did the miracles in. They're all very similar. John's gospel says some of the same things but in different order and things. You find this in all three of the gospels. This particular verse, this particular conundrum is in a slightly different place. But I think where we find it in Matthew is very important because it comes after the parable of the sower. And we'll see why that's important just in a wee minute. So that's what he was on about. And and right at the end of that verse, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to them in parables? And that's what he replied. He then went on to quote more scripture, more prophecy, from Isaiah this time and from the Old Testament and he replied this is why I speak to them in parables though seeing they do not see though hearing they do not hear or understand and them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah you will be ever hearing but never understanding you will be ever seeing but never perceiving For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. 
and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Here's our second conundrum. Why would Jesus say that they were ever seeing? Why? It sounds like he doesn't want them. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Sounds like he doesn't want them to. And he's quoting this from Isaiah, and he said, this is, this is why I'm doing this, so that they don't hear and they don't see and they don't turn. Why would Jesus, who's preaching the kingdom of God, he's preaching the kingdom of love and equality and parity and justice, suddenly say, oh, but it's not for them, it's for you. This is so that they won't see, they won't hear, they won't find God. Right. Rona dealt quite a bit with seeing, <laughs> seeing spiritually. And what we've seen this morning is that these things have a spiritual meaning. Let's think first, though, about hearing but never understanding. We can kind of turn that around and, and think about how good are we at listening. Really, how good? Are we really good at listening? How good are we? Brilliant. <laughs> That's good. I know Ewan's really good at listening. Are you good at listening, Ewan? Yeah, you are. Sometimes you think he's paying absolutely no attention and he rules back everything you've said. <laughs> Amazing. How good are we at listening? There's lots of reasons why we might, might not be listening. We might not be engaged with whoever's speaking. We might just be distracted. Our heads are the worst thing for distracting us. How many times have you listened to somebody and at the end of it you can't remember a thing they've said? But you might have sat there for a whole hour. And you kind of go, oh my goodness. We might also not particularly listen if we don't agree with what we think the person is going to say. That's a good technique that some people develop. Or we don't really respect the person who's speaking because we think that their depth of knowledge is not going to be good enough or we don't have any respect for who they are or their person. So we actually don't pay much attention to what they're saying. That's another good reason. Sometimes we can give an impression to a person or a friend that we are just absolutely not listening because actually we are not listening. And, you know, we can rush through the conversation, say a word that actually, I don't know the number of times that Eddie's replied to me. <laughs> And you know what? It's absolutely nothing to do. He's just hoping that it's the right response at the right moment. Has that happened to anybody else? <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it can be a bad thing because we can actually make the person that we're apparently listening to feel as though they are totally not valued. 
because the person becomes aware that we're not really paying any attention or listening to them. So how does that make the person that we're talking to feel? It makes them feel like, oh, you don't respect me enough to care about my opinion. Or why did you bother asking me how I am? Because you don't really want to know. <laughs> we're not very good at listening, are we? And we're not very good at listening to God sometimes either. And so we can really understand hearing but not understanding because we can hear all these words, we can talk about God, we can actually listen to God and have no understanding of what's been said at all. So that's just something that happens. It's how we are. Even taking no spiritual element into that at all, that is a very common thing. And it's the same with seeing, really. Seeing but never perceiving. Um, it's been fun having James so close to us because, you know, with a wee one, you see them starting to join the dots. You get, when they're very little, it becomes like, oh, that face, that's the face that I get food from. <laughs> Not that one or that one, but that one. <laughs> And they grow up a little bit and they think, oh, that face, that's the one that lets me eat the donuts. <laughs> I like that yeah. <laughs> And you can see, oh, I've got this coat, this jacket thing on. That means I'm going outside. So they start understanding what they are seeing and what that means. Yeah. That cup means if it's in that cup, it's for me. If it's in that cup, it's for mummy or daddy or granddad. But that cup, ha, that's for me. Yeah. And they join the dots, and we do the same. When you've lived a few years at the coast and you see some gulls on your roof this time of year making an awful racket, you know fine well you have to get them off of there. They're going to make a nest and you're going to have a terrible time. But that's because you take what you're seeing and you join it to your previous knowledge, and you join the dots, and you come to a conclusion. Sometimes we're really good at it, and we get really good conclusions, and sometimes we're pretty naff at it, and we come to really bad conclusions. But that's how we are. And we don't always understand what we're seeing. Now, if you think about it, these disciples, these followers, had been with Jesus a while. Some of the crowd had been with them a while. What had they been doing? They had been watching Jesus. They had been listening to Jesus. But they were hearing him. But were they understanding? Hmm, maybe. Where they'd been watching him, they had seen him perform miracles. I wish I could have seen that. Some of it's amazing. They'd, some of them had seen him raise a dead girl. They had seen him cure blind people. And for some of them, they joined the dots and said, this must be the Messiah. This must be the one that we've been learning about. And for others, they just thought, oh, he's pretty good, isn't he? That's pretty cool. You know what we saw today? We saw Limba walking. Oh, yes, that's pretty cool. Must go next week. What will we see next week? You know, we might see... Oh, 
And it wasn't so much the meaning behind it, they weren't joining the dots as to who this was that was doing the healing, as to who this was that they were listening to. And that's what Jesus was using parables. What does parable do? Well, it's got two meanings. It takes an example from a thing that you can see. Jesus ones, a lot of them were about sheep or about farmers. The particular one here is the sower who sows the seed. And the disciples didn't really get it either. That's why they were really asking that question, because they didn't really get what he was on about with the parable of the sower. But it was a very good description of what a farmer did. In those days, he had his basket and he walked, prepared his field, put all the stones at the side, because it was stony ground, really stony ground, so they had to prepare the soil, throw all the stones out, made a stony path, and then they didn't put them in nice rows like we might do in our little garden if you've a veggie plot, or pop the little plants in. They had a basket of seed and they just went, whoosh, 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 and the seed fell where it went. And that was what Jesus was describing in this parable. So he was taking something that was familiar and talking about it. So if you're listening to him, you could say, oh, yeah, that's what I've seen them do. And that's it. But it also had another deeper spiritual meaning. And that was also what Jesus was saying with the parables. For those who are aware, for those who have seen what I do and understand what I'm saying, there is a spiritual meaning behind all these stories. But for those who just came to listen to a good story, that was all they saw, that was all they got. So the ones who had, a, if you have a spiritual awareness and you hear these things, you will hear and understand the deeper spiritual meaning that Jesus was giving. But if you hear and you have no spiritual awareness or awareness of who's talking, you will not understand. That's what our conundrum was meaning. It's who we were, who, what our awareness was of what was being done, who was doing the talking. If we saw Jesus and we saw all the miracles he was performing and we were aware of God, we could join the dots and perceive that this must be who God had sent to save the world, the Messiah. So we were seeing, we were perceiving and understanding. If we were just saying, hey, what's it going to be this week? Legs or arms or eyes, let's go and see. But we had no awareness of God or who Jesus was. We didn't join the dots, so we couldn't perceive that this was the Messiah. And that's what our second conundrum was. I'd just like to finish with having a little look very quickly, because this was in the parable of the sower, and the disciples really didn't understand that parable. And it speaks about an 
the parable of the sower, when I hear somebody going to talk about it at church, I think, oh yeah, that's good. That one is for all the people who don't really know God. And it's talking about their hearts and their souls and their spirit. But hey, you know, it's not just for people who don't know God, who haven't asked Jesus in their life. Because what Jesus says, when he explains the meaning, is that the sower is God, and the soil that the seed falls on, the seed is the word of God, and the soil that it falls on is our hearts. And if our hearts are prepared, they are good soil, and the word of God takes root and it produces fruit, and it grows. But if it falls on the rocks and the stony soil, it can't take root, and it's whisked away by the devil. If our hearts are hard, even as Christians, even loving God, sometimes we can harden our hearts a wee bit, can't we? Oh, you don't say that. Don't talk about forgiveness. I really can't forgive him. So please don't talk to me about that. Our hearts have become hard in that area. We have to be careful that we keep our soil tilled and turned over, that we keep our hearts soft towards God. Because if we don't, the devil has more opportunity to whisk in, whisk away that word that God's just given, whisk away that understanding that God's just given, and we lose that word. And it doesn't take root in us and grow. Also, if the seed falls among thorns and thistles, they grow, they grow up and they choke the word. And it, Jesus says that the thorns and the thistles are the cares and anxieties of this world. Well, how many of those do we have? And aren't we fed up with cares and worries and anxieties of this world? But as Christians, we too have to be careful to protect our hearts from being choked by the cares and anxieties of this world. How often do we worry so much and forget to pray? How, much, how often do we get so anxious that we forget to ask God about it? And God wants to help us and wants to take care of it. And he wants to take our cares and anxieties, but we keep taking them back. We need to protect our hearts. How do we do that? We protect our hearts by praying, by reading God's word and allowing time for God to speak to us and praising him and thanking him for all he's done so that we're not choked by the anxieties of this world. Have a little look at the parable of the sower. Prayerfully, and have a little think and ask God to keep your heart soft, to keep your heart tilled, so that when God's word speaks to you and you hear him speaking to you, it has a chance to grow and develop. Because when that happens, we get a harvest of 
what? 10, 80, 100 times what's been sown. So just this morning, do be prayerful. When you find a conundrum in the scripture, as you will, there are loads of them, then pray about it and ask God to reveal what is the spiritual interpretation and take it in context.